0: In this episode of Life, Leadership and the Pursuit of Greatness, we have the pleasure of being joined by longtime football coach and player and commentator, leader, influencer, uh, Bill Curry. He's taking time out from his home in Atlanta to spend time with us talking about how to lead with love, compassion and courage uh, in a time of need and adversity and we can't wait to hear and learn from Coach Bill Curry. Here we go. All right, welcome to another episode of Life Leadership and the Pursuit of Greatness. We are thrilled to have online with us today Coach Bill Curry. Um, coach has taken time out of his home in Atlanta to spend some time sharing his knowledge, his life experiences, um, and we are glad to apply those to the leadership Piece that we're talking about today, Coach Curry. How are you today? Great.
1: Despite the um, unprecedented uh, uncertainty we're living in, my wife and I are blessed in so many ways that we're, we're doing okay, and our children are doing okay, and uh, that's what really matters uh, to, to any grandparents. Uh, we just uh, we just hope our country can pull through this quickly, and that. We, uh, we find honest leaders to lead us through uh, this very difficult time that's coming up.
0: Yeah, you, you mentioned the word honest leaders, and we're going to talk quite a bit about your experience with leadership, number one as a player, as, as an assistant coach, as a head coach, and then as a leader in your house. Um, I, I, I would say one of the things that struck me when you and I spoke last week is just how proud you are of your marriage to Carolyn and the relationship that you guys have and then the family that you've built.
1: Well, (laughs) if there's anything that sets me aside in any way, it is that I've uh, been surrounded by great people since I was a kid. And um, I'm not going to say she was the first of the great people I met because, (laughs) because there were some others even when I was younger, but, I met her in the fourth grade. Uh, she was Carolyn Newton at the time. She was the most beautiful creature I had ever seen. She still is. And she was the best student in our class. And she still is. <laughs> after after 57 years of marriage. It took me six years to get a date, but we won't go through all that. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, oh. but, but we... Uh, we have worked through so many difficult hours with our children and our teams. And it was always our teams. She always did everything with me. So we coached the teams we played for the Packers and the Colts. And I mean, it was always we, and, uh, and I knew that, and that was a great strength. And as we've gone through the years and 34 moves um, all over America She's never complained and she's uh, she's been a, a beacon of light and hope and inspiration. And, and that's all you could ask and ask for in a mate. So, yes, I, that would be at the very top of my list. That marriage is so, so important. Well,
0: you, you mentioned right when we got on about how this country is in a time of of crisis. And when, when I reached out to you, uh, I, I couldn't think of someone that had a more calm, Passionate, uh, strong, uh, character-driven message than about about your experiences. And so, when you think of leadership, Coach Curry, uh, how do you define it?
1: What great leaders do is to create a bond. It's very demanding and difficult. That's why most people won't even try it. Um, and have a nose come naturally with me. I just had a chance to watch phenomenal leaders, but it involves building relationship with your entire team. And if you're leading uh, uh, a football team, you've got 105 players. That means that Uh, one gets to know every one of them as well as possible. You can't get to know every single detail of every young person if you've got that many, but you can understand personalities and family backgrounds and motivations and that sort of thing so that you can enhance every aspect of the person's experience. So leaders understand their people. Um, The second thing that leaders do is to um, find moments and ways to encourage in the discouraging times. Uh, Great leaders are trusted because they tell the truth all the time. If they do tell an untruth, if they do say something to the team or the unit, whatever that unit is, and they do it uh, such that they unintentionally Uh, Told something that wasn't true, then they quickly get back in front of the team and say, Look, I was wrong. Uh, That that wasn't true, what I told you last week. I thought it was. It isn't. Um, So I intentionally lied, uh, but I never do it intentionally. And. uh, things are so kind of pass off when you find out it is back and let the guys know. And then a leader, um, it's her word or keeps his word. Um, I had, I've got so many hundreds of experiences running through my mind. When I answer questions like this, Mm. this answer, this answer could go on for hours (laughs) and don't, don't worry. I'm not going to let it do that, but, but I'm going to tell you this last bit. Uh, about my third year at Georgia Tech, I was talking to the to the mid- young ladies that worked in our um, training room and in our um, equipment room and in our administrative and our tutoring search. So we, more and more women have been becoming more and more a part of uh, football leadership. So as I as I spoke to them, I I emphasized the fact that we were going to function like a family. And that's a, that's, that's one that slips off the tongue really easily. We say it an awful lot. We don't understand what we're talking about. And so, um, I was, uh, going through the process of bringing in each player one at a time, sitting down with him, uh, going through goals, going through, uh, aspirations. And, uh, And talking about how he felt about our program or how she felt about our program. And um, some of them you don't look forward to because the guys are blunt. And they'll tell you what you've been screwing up. You don't want to hear it, but you know, some of them are going to tell you that stuff. And that's why you have the meetings. And there was one particular young man at Georgia Tech who was just a great citizen, a great student, engineering student, tough as nails, not a great football player, but a good football player, a very good citizen. And I couldn't wait for him because I knew he was going to tell me an awful lot, a lot of nice things about me and about our program. And so I could hardly wait. And he walks in and we were all smiles. And I said, well, uh, Mike, tell me um, what your evaluation of our program is. He said, you want the truth, coach? I said, well, of course I do. I'm starting to get a little queasy now. And he said, well, you talk all this family stuff, but you walk in our dining room and a bunch of us are sitting over in the corner at a table and you walk all the way across the other side of the room and sit at a table by yourself and eat your breakfast or eat your lunch or whatever it is. And you don't bother to come sit down with us ever. Now, that's not what families do, Coach. So everything you've been saying to us means nothing when you don't practice it. I almost fell out of my chair. That's exactly what I I thought of that as my private time. I could go in there and have a little quiet away from the telephone. And instead, my team was interpreting it entirely differently. So if you're trying to grow as a leader, that means you listen to your people. And you provide a safe place for them to tell the truth. Even when it's unpleasant, especially when it's unpleasant to you, because that's the only way that the leader is going to grow. And I could go on and on and on. But that's a few of the things. And when you have those bonds, then when you get in the in the tough spot, when you get in the fourth quarter and you're behind by two touchdowns or when you get in a situation like our country's in right now, uh, there are there are people all over America that have been great leaders for a long time that are. Governors of our states, they're uh, running hospitals, they're running uh, ER units, and they're trusted. You can tell because their people are knocking themselves out for, for, yes, for the American public, but also for their leaders and for each other.
2: Coach Curry, uh, could you talk about just some of the experiences that have defined you and, and the impacts that they've had on you throughout
1: your life? Wow, yeah, I'm uh, glad to do that. I um, Some of them have been uh, absolutely earth shaking for me, um, changing my whole paradigm, the way I looked at things. When I was a rookie with the Green Bay Packers, I had come from uh, Coach Bobby Dodd at Georgia Tech, who uh, was already a legend. <laughs> in these parts and uh, and deservedly so because he emphasized all the right things uh, his his emphasis was on academics and on integrity and then also on winning football games and he was great at all of those uh, he was the epitome of the southern gentleman for god's sakes his name was Robert E. Lee Dodd. Mm. Uh, imagine that <laughs> And his first meeting every year was something like this. Now, man, if you're not a good football player, that's not your fault. That's my fault because I invited you here. Uh, We're not going to run you off. A lot of the schools around here were doing that at that time. They'd bring in 60 guys and run off 30 of them by pushing them so hard at practice that the kids would quit. So they were basically having pro tryout camps. He said, we're we're going to assign 30 guys and we're going to keep 30 guys all the way through school. If you go to class, if you go to every class, if you pay attention, if you sit up straight, sit on the front row, take notes, then you'll have a chance in this school. This is one of the hardest schools in the world. So let's not kid ourselves that we got a bunch of Rhodes Scholars in this room. We don't. But you are all smart enough to graduate from this great school. We know. We've checked your records, and you can do it, but only if you do it the way I tell you to. So don't you dare cut a class. Well, I thought he was such a nice man. He was kidding about that. So naturally, I cut a class. I was 17 years old. My first semester, I had chemistry at 8 o'clock every morning, four mornings a week. And I decided I didn't need to go because I was tired. Uh, (laughs) No way they could catch me, right? Because mm. there, were, there were 100 kids in their class. My my name was on the bulletin board the next day. Bill Curry, report to Grant Field. five 5.30 a.m. Wednesday morning, in your running gear. Oh. They ran me the up and down those west stands. I was gagging and sobbing. <laughs> and after the fifth time, I'm running through my own tears and Snot and everything else you can think of. I decided that chemistry at eight o'clock in the morning was a wonderful thing. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine that. And here's what matters though here's what counts. I never cut another class. My football coach loved me too much to allow me to self destruct when I could not see my own potential. Mm-hmm. I did not want to disappoint him. As it turns out, He never got his degree from the University of Tennessee, and he never got over that, and he was not going to allow that to happen to us. Most of us graduated, and he was right. None of us were Rhodes Scholar candidates, but we were competing with great students, and uh, we had to go the extra mile to do that. Uh, And so class became a very serious matter. And so in doing that, Coach Dodd not only gave me a chance to graduate from Uh, Georgia Tech he gave me a mission in life because as I coached and became the leader in various programs I had exactly the same goals he had and that was for every player to graduate using the same methods. meaning sit up straight take notes pay attention do your work go to the tutoring go to study hall and you'll have a chance competing against um, a lot of these these great students so then I went about a thousand miles north and uh, Coach Lombardi, Vince Lombardi was our coach for the Green Bay Packers, and uh, he was not um, Southern. As, uh, let's just put it that way. He was also a Catholic, and he was very much a Yankee, and we didn't like any of those things. We weren't supposed to like any of those things. We weren't, spo- we weren't supposed to like people of color. I had never been in a huddle with an African-American person when I got to the Green Bay Packers. And Vince Lombardi's greatest attribute was not that he was a great football coach. Um, His greatest attribute is that he would not allow prejudice in our locker room. Mm. He had more African-American players than anybody else in the league. And I looked around the locker room and I thought these guys – are going to hear my southern accent, they're going to injure me and send me home. And plus, I don't like this coach. I automatically judge Coach Lombardi very immaturely and very incorrectly. And um, I thought that the African American players would reject me. And instead, uh, with the leadership of Willie Davis, the great defensive captain, they embraced me they encouraged me and that's what they did with everybody that came on that team there was no racism in the locker room there was no division on that team and oh by the way nobody could beat us that team won five world championships in seven years that will never happen again in the nfl Mm -hmm. it wasn't just because of that policy but it was in large measure because every human being on that team knew that he was respected. And yes, Lombardi was hard. And no, I wasn't ready for him. And I had a lot of growing up to do. But I learned something that went all the way through to this moment in my life, uh, that illogical hatred of other people, regardless of the reason, is a self-defeating part of your personality. And although we've all fallen into it for brief times, we cannot let our country lapse back into the horror of racism. And that's exactly what's happening.
0: Mm. That is, um, you know, the, I think the thing that's most impressive to me, coaches I'm listening to you is, is coach Lombardi and coach Dodd cared enough about you to create accountability and discipline when you wouldn't have done it for yourself, because sometimes that's the easy way out. And we don't, we can't see the, the forest through the trees. And, and now that you're on the other side, uh, that's the blessing uh, unbe- unbeknownst to you at that time. Well, I
1: was a baby. I mean, I was first in the first instance. I was 17 years old. I was very immature, very slow maturing. Um, I mean, I didn't become a decent NFL player till about my fourth or fifth year, and um, I'm I'm not happy about that. But that's just that's just the way I was constructed. I wish I had been farther along when I was with those. Great Packer teams, but uh, I certainly have formed some friendships that have lasted till this day, and uh, and I have such deep respect. We, we the greatest halftime speech. I'll put it, I, I'll put it all in perspective, and you'll understand this, you football guys. Um, we were in Detroit my during that rookie year, and the Lions were about the only team in the league that were not intimidated by the Packers. I mean, they had Alex Carris and. Dick LeBeau and Joe Smith and Night Train Lane and good grief. I mean, they were tough as nails and they were trash talking before there was trash talk. Um, but they could also play. And at the half, we were down 21 to three. I mean, they were killing us, running us out of the stadium. And, um, so we trot off the field for halftime and, uh, We played Old Tiger Stadium. It was uh, it was Detroit. It was the baseball stadium, as was the case with a lot of those teams. We played in Wrigley Field. We played in in um, Tiger Stadium, as I said. We played in some other uh, baseball stadiums, and the benches were on the same sidelines. So some of the Lions players had walked right by Vince Lombardi and had some very choice things to say to him which I cannot say on this podcast. Hmm. Uh, We probably have ladies that listen to it. (laughs) So, I mean, it was – so I look at at Lombardi, and I'm a rookie. I had to stand next to him because I was on all the special teams and I was a long snapper. So, whatever happened, I was going to go in after any big situation, like to kick the extra point or to receive the kickoff or whatever it was. So, I was always next to him to run on the field – to alert the team, okay, we're gonna we're gonna do this kind of kickoff return, or that kind of uh, field goal protection, what have you. Well, he smiled at the at the lion players. I thought that's the strangest thing I've ever seen. Well, does he think that's funny? All that trash they're throwing at him. So we run off the field. And we go in the locker room. That NFL halftime is twelve minutes, and I mean there were a bunch of veterans on that team but everybody was terrified of what he was going to do to us because he could destroy you with his mouth, with his verbiage. Well, he didn't show up. It was the strangest 12 minutes of my life. There were four rookies on the team. We were probably crying. We were sitting in the back of the locker room. (laughs) Uh, After what seemed like an eternity, he walked in with about 30 seconds left in the half. He looked around the room. He established eye contact with all 40 men, and he said this. He said, men, we're the Green Bay Packers. And he turned around. Now, I'll let you guess what happened in the second half. We mm-hmm. ran them out of their own stadium, beat them to death. And I, it took me years and years to figure out, How he could make such a great halftime. He didn't have to give us any of his adages, any of his material, because we had been hammered with it all day, every day, the whole year at practice. So he didn't have to. All he had to do is remind us of who we are. That that is leadership. That, That is the greatest form of leadership. And years and years later, it came to me. Why did he smile? He smiled because he knew that the Lions players thought the game was over. And he knew that we knew it wasn't over. That's an incredible lesson,
0: Coach. I, I've never heard that story, and I absolutely love it. Um, I'm ready to go out in the field right now. I can't. I'm stuck I'm stuck inside.
1: Um, Most football people
0: can quote all Lombardi's sayings. Oh, my goodness gracious. Um, I, I've heard you – talk about an assistant coach at your in your playing days that had a very – well, two coaches that had uh, one that really struck you in sort of a negative way and then one other coach that came along and, and pulled you and built you back up. Um, can you talk about that experience a little bit?
1: Well, that was huge because of the things. Um, I would have never – I would have probably never played at Georgia Tech had it not been for the first experience because I had thought I was given my best, but obviously I was not. And what got my attention is that Carolyn and I decided to get married when we were 20 years old. We did. And wouldn't you know the next week Georgia tech goes to a bowl and well, nobody knew what the bowl situation would be when we planned our wedding, but, uh, Carolyn got a nice trip to Houston, Texas to the Blue Bonnet Bowl to go along with us. And uh, I was so proud of her and all that was nice. Game, we played Missouri. We lost the game 14 to 10. At the end of the game, my jersey was clean. And my jersey had been clean my whole career at Georgia Tech at the end of almost every game. I had played very little. I had not started a single game. And I just finished my third year at, at Tech. Um, and I was really embarrassed for my bride to be sitting up there with the other wives. And, and kids got married a lot more in those days than they do today. You probably know that. Um, so I went to the coach, uh, one of the coaches, uh, the next week and said, Coach, um, gosh, what, do I, what am I not trying hard enough? He said, no, you try hard. I said, well, maybe I don't know my assignments. He said, no, you're very, you're very good on the mental part. I said, well, why am I not playing then? He said, you're not playing because you're not good enough, and you'll never be good enough. You just don't move your feet well enough. And uh, he wasn't cruel about it, and he, he, he thought he, was, he wasn't being crude. He just was doing his job telling, telling me what he thought was the truth. Well, I was crushed, of course. He just said, look, you're, not gonna, you're never going to play here. Just get your education. Uh, don't get in trouble. Uh, finish your degree, and you'll have a, a good life. And uh, within two or three days, another of our assistant coaches, a guy named John Robert Bell, came to my locker, sought me out. He said, Bill, let me tell you something. I know you well, and I know you can play. Now, how about you and me going down to the practice field early and let's work on your footwork? I played twelve more years, um, thanks to John Robert Bell, who believed in me. Now, the other coach again was only doing his job. He wasn't trying to be cruel. He thought he he was telling me what he thought was the truth. But what Coach Bell did is he he looked deeper. He did what I was talking about in the first instance. Instead of just talking about family, he looked inside our hearts and he found things. He saw potential where other people could not see it. And he found ways to help us derive that potential, up that potential so that I was able to, first of all, go and be with him at his school which uh, he became the head coach at East Tennessee state and won a national championship there. Not surprisingly sacked Terry Bradshaw, 10 times. I love that. I I love, (laughs) I love asking Bradshaw, did you enjoy playing against my coach? (laughs) I don't think he did, but um, I, I had the privilege of going and being in his home later so that I could properly thank him for really saving my career. And then uh, to stand up at his funeral and, and to let his family and all the hundreds and hundreds of his admirers know Coach Bell was the best because that's what he did all the time.
2: Coach Curry, when you, heard, you mentioned earlier in our podcast here how you mentioned the phrase tough as nails. But can you, can you talk about toughness? And what does that actually mean and how that is built? I mean, I look at some of the, you know, the coaches that you've had the privilege to be coached by. And Bobby Dodd, you mentioned earlier, Vince Lombardi you mentioned earlier. We, we didn't mention Don Chula and Chuck Knox, some of those coaches that you were privileged to be coached with. But, you know, when you mention those coaches, one of the words that comes to my mind is toughness.
1: Yeah, uh, toughness was, um, it was a given. They didn't talk much about toughness. Uh, I remember Shula constantly saying, um, you got to be able to play football no matter how you feel. And he said, I'm not talking about injured. If you're injured, we're not going to put you out there. Our doctors won't love us, and we, and we wouldn't dare. I'm talking about playing when everything's not perfect. The NFL season – games and he said we're going to play the exhibition games to win which we did that's another thing he did and so some of you guys when you're starters you, you when we get to the end of the year if we're in this he, heading to the super Bowl which we, I hope we are you will have played 23 football games in a row so you're not going to feel good a whole lot of the time I want people that can play football and they don't feel good that's that is a part of toughness. Anybody can play when they feel just fine. Only the really tough guys can play when they've got a slight injury. And, I don't, again, we're not talking about serious injury. Um, <laughs> I do remember him having some heated conversations with our doctors, but the doctors always won out. So um, I, when I think of toughness, and I think of the toughest guys I've ever known, And the toughest women I've ever known, I'm married to one. Oh, my gosh. Uh, She's tough as nails. Um, Tough people take responsibility. No matter how good or how bad the outcome is, toughness is accepting responsibility for your performance and the performance of your unit, no matter what. I don't care if it's Vince Lombardi or Willie Davis. Willie Davis would stand up and say, I got knocked off the ball. I didn't play my best. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to play better, and I'm going to do it right now. I take responsibility. Willie Davis is one of the great leaders that ever stepped on the field in the National Football League. Here's a guy from Grambling State University working on his master's degree in business at the University of Chicago while being captain of the greatest football team of all time. At that time, it was considered the greatest team of all time. And it's surely among the greatest to this very day. That is toughness. Toughness is not standing over a fallen opponent. Toughness is not pointing fingers at somebody else. Toughness is not making up pejorative nicknames for somebody else. Toughness is accepting responsibility for your performance and the performance of your unit. Every single time no matter what toughness yes it's also sucking it up on the goal line and getting your pads lower than the other guy when your knees don't want to bend that's right you can do that but it it includes everything about your attitude and what you exude and you don't have to say a word to do it it helps if you can talk about it but you don't have to
0: that uh that that's leadership right there that's That's exactly what we're talking about. And, and coach moving forward into leadership in today's society, um, you know, faith has been a huge part of your life. And, you know, one of the greatest skills I believe is to have faith greater than fear and, and, and talk about how faith has impacted your ability to overcome fear and, and how you feel its value, um, plays in today's society with so much going on. That's uncertain.
1: Well, right now the actions of some of uh, our faith based groups, uh, frankly, baffle me. And I'm not going to get into the political aspect of that, but I I don't get it at all because I don't think it's real complicated. Um, If Christ is your measuring stick and he is for me, um, And it's fine if you are of another faith. Uh, America is supposed to be a place that's welcoming to all people, all faiths. But um, I became a Christian early, and then I ran as hard and as fast as I could away from God, uh, actually several times in life. And uh, I am so blessed that he welcomed me back each time I came crawling back. Um, when sometimes he reeled, grabbed me by the throat, and jerked me back, and I'm serious—that's how it felt. Uh, you're not going to keep behaving like this. I could almost hear him saying. Um, I remember one time in particular, at the end of my career, uh, and and our, our career is virtually all in the same way. We don't. When you hear NFL guy say he retired, that's usually a lie. Uh, we get retired, we don't retire. For me, <laughs> the coach called me and he said, you know, Bill, you've always been really quick. And I said, well, thank you. Yeah, I've worked hard at being quick. He said, you're not quick anymore. Yeah. End of conversation. You know what that means? <laughs> when you've gotten by on quickness and you were the smallest lineman there, everything you played on, that means you're not going to play anymore. <laughs> I felt so sorry for me that I developed some really bad habits, really bad. Um, staying out late in the wrong places, um, really bad habits. I saw I'm going to say about that. And I was traveling and um, I always took my rear running. I'd always stayed in great shape. I got fat. I was wallowing in self pity. And, uh, I decided one night I was watching the World Series and uh, I I said, some of those guys are as old as as I am and they're still in shape and they're still playing. I'm going to get back in shape. So I got up the next morning, I ran for eight minutes and I was on my knees gagging and uh, vomiting and uh, this voice, almost as if God, sat down in the grass next to me and leaned over and he said, you're going to die soon. And I got the message. And so the habits changed. And that was, a, that was an ugly, powerful message. I knew exactly where it came from. Another time, uh, my father was going to die. I knew he was. And this was like a week before his death. And, um, I could hardly stand the thought I was alone in a hotel room. And this time I had not slipped so far from my faith. I had not resumed those terrible habits, but I was in a moment of despair. And, uh, you don't have to have bad habits to despair. And so I just did one of those things that, and you don't know how this is, works out, but I picked up a Gideon Bible and uh, opened it. And this is what I saw Be anxious for nothing. Through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Then his peace, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. And I read that and it took my breath away. And I read it again and again. And it was like God reached in and handed me that as a gift. And I have been able to use... That scripture and several others that he gave me uh, ever since. And there's great comfort in those words and in many other words that you find, especially in the New Testament, but really a lot of places in the Bible.
2: Coach, can you? This is kind of a two part question here, but you, you obviously have had a tremendous impact as a coach on many people, you know, through your various coaching stops that you've made. Um, But can you talk about the value of a coach in today's society, as well as, you know, the value of football in today's society?
1: I think for young people, um, the coach is the most important person in society today. We probably shouldn't be but I think we are. Uh, and I still think of myself as a coach just because wonderful people like you allow me to continue to coach and mentor with opportunities like this. And I can't tell you how grateful I am. Um, and the that coaches are, because young people are so deeply moved by sport. Uh, I can tell you we've, and I'm, I've been a part of it. I worked for ESPN for 11 years and we brainwashed a generation of American male young people and a few females into thinking they're going to play in the NFL. Every kid that plays high school or even D3, D2 college football thinks that somehow he's going to get uh, here going to get in an NFL training camp. And more and more of the young ladies are coming up to me saying, how do I get a coaching job? Or how do I get to to be an official? Now there's an NFL official, uh, a female official, and I think they'd be great. I wish we had more of them. They're obviously smarter than men, uh, it seems like to me. (laughs) At least my wife tells me that. Uh, So I think the influence of coaches, if anything, has grown and not for all the right reasons. But I think we can take that influence, uh, allow the young people to have their goals and say, okay, now let me put some things in perspective for you. You think that I'm going to get you in the Steelers training camp, but you're not playing first string at Georgia State right now. Now, is there something funny about this picture to you? It seems like you need to get in the weight room. You need to get in the books. You need to get on the track. You need to improve this, 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 and this so that you're a, a dominant force at Georgia State before, you, before you're thinking about playing for Pittsburgh Steelers. So you can use those things to help the young people motivate themselves. Um, but I do think that we, we're, we're on a kind of a pedestal, and um, it's hard to stay up there. I mean, we don't always deserve it, but I think we can use it and influence hundreds of thousands of young people in the right direction.
2: Well, and I think what you talked about right there is love for your players. I mean, when you tell – when you share that example of, you know, you want to play for the Pittsburgh Steelers, but you're, you're not first team at uh, – you know, to me that's saying, like, this is where I see you. This is where you are, but this is where I need you to be. And to me, that's one of the best ways a coach can, sh- can share and show love towards his players.
1: If your players know that you love them, they will they will march into hell for you mm. if they think you don't care about them <laughs> this generation will, will look you right in the eye and tell you that you don't care about them i promise you i don't have to tell you that uh, but yes and i think there's got to be a way i'm glad you brought that up and i'm glad you were specific it. i think you got to show them and tell them every day that you love them because a lot of these kids have grown up without much love. You want to know that you care about them. And it is amazing to me, some of the guys that I still hear from that I coached 40 years ago. um, I am just so thrilled that I still hear from them. And it's not because I was some brilliant football mind, because I certainly was not but it was because I cared about them and uh, we developed a bond where we cared about each other.
2: Do you think that coaches like Vince Lombardi and Don Shula and Chuck Knox and some of these other coaches, I mean were they cognizant of that when you played during that time in the NFL or, or was it not even discussed?
1: Well, it was a different era. And, uh, in Lombardi's case, um, I would have argued strongly that he didn't care about anything except winning and he didn't care what he did to us and that he was abusive. In fact, I said those things after I was playing for Shua and, um, some of my teammates, my Packer teammates were furious with me and, uh, Violently disagreed, and in fact, Paul Horning, We were down in New Orleans one night. He wanted to fight, and I said, "Well, fine, let's fight." Uh, because uh, he said, uh, "You made Coleslaw. You made you made the old man's mom cry." And now that got me because I didn't I didn't think about him having a mom. <laughs> Jeez, that that hurt. I mean, that made me feel terrible. He said, "I tell you what. If the old man saw you, he'd treat you like his long-lost son." And I shouted back, "If he saw me, he'd treat me like dirt." Well, when you shoot your mouth off, uh, you need to be real careful, because God's going to use that more than likely. It wasn't two months later. I was walking up some narrow steps at the New York, uh, at the Washington D.C. Hilton, at the President's Prayer Breakfast. And guess who was coming down those same narrow steps? Benson out- Barty. And there I was. And he greeted me like his long lost son. And mm-hmm. I, felt, I felt about an inch high. And he looked me in the eye and he said, Bill, you and I need to talk. And I said, Yes, sir, we do. Um, well, it was only a few months later that he was on his deathbed. And a, a great teammate, and this is part of the definition of team, makes, a great teammate makes you do tough things that you ought to do that you probably wouldn't do on your own. Bob Long called me, and I was working for the Players Association in, in, in Washington. He said, you and I are going to go see Coach Lombardi at the hospital tomorrow. I said, no, we are not, because I would not be allowed in the room. He said, let me tell you something, buddy. This is a real teammate. He said, I know where you are. And if I have to drag your big you-know-what out of the room to my car, you're going to see Coach with me tomorrow. And Bob was Catholic. I was not. He said, we're going to light a candle for Coach, and we're going to his room, and you're going to face him. Wow. Mm. That is a teammate. So I walked shaking like a leaf into that room, and there's the great man all filled with IVs and tubes. And uh, I took his left hand because his right arm was immobilized and um, choked out something between tears and gagging. I said, Coach, uh, I said some things I shouldn't have and uh, I came here today to apologize and to let you know that um, that you meant a lot to my life. And... Um, the body was emaciated, but the eyes and the voice had didn't change at all. He squeezed my hand, looked me right in the eye, and he said, "You can mean a lot to my life if you'll pray for me." Mm. So powerful! What had the great man done? He had he had forgiven me when I least deserved it. That is the essence of the Christian faith. So when he said his priorities were his religion his family and the green bay packers that's exactly what he meant even though i couldn't handle it when i was stupid and didn't want to hear it and he was different from me and all that um it was a life-changing moment an unexpected undeserved unrewarded act of kindness from a christian brother that i had not even acknowledged until that moment That is
0: uh, that might be one of the most powerful stories I've ever heard, Coach. You gave me uh, goosebumps, um, and I guess that really moves into kind of the next question, that, and maybe not even question, but just more commentary. What a great way, a demonstration of of being a coach uh, on his on his deathbed than Coach Lombardi. But then, how do we translate those experiences? Um, of football into society, what is the value that this game provides in your eyes?
1: Well, here's the value. Here's a value. I think there are a lot, but I think this is the, the best one at this moment in our history. Um, okay. Let's say I'm the coach and I've, I've got a whole bunch of young people. And they're all different shapes and colors and religions, and they come from all over the place. Now, if you're coaching high school ball in one community, you may not, you, know, you may have a fairly homogeneous group, but you may also have a very diverse group uh, in today's American society. Uh, you may have a bunch of kids that have been shouting at a bunch of brown-skinned kids, "Build the wall! Build the wall! Build the wall!" I've seen that. I've seen that on video. I I couldn't believe my eyes. We're in the United States of America, and we've got that sort of stuff. But when you go out for football, I can take two of those kids and put them in lockers next to each other. Now, no matter whether you're a great player or a terrible player, when you go out on that football practice field, you're going to sweat, and every now and then you're going to bleed a little bit, hopefully not too much but you're gonna go through all kinds of pain. And when we dress in football, we can't even get our shirt on by ourselves. We have to have our teammate pull our jersey over our pads to get it on and to get it off. Now I can take two of those kids. I can take one off the streets of LA and one out of the hills of North Georgia that have been raised to hate each other's guts by our sick society. And I can make them dress next to each other. I've actually had them walk in my office and say, Coach, I don't want to dress next to this guy. I say, Well, that's not that's not my problem. That's your problem. Well, what do you mean? You can't do that. I say, Oh, I can do anything I want to. I'm the head coach. That's where you're dressing, that's where he's dressing. You two are gonna learn to get along. And what happens is this miracle, and I call it the miracle of team, but it's really not a miracle, it's just a human experience they sweat and bleed and they come in and out of that locker room enough times. And they begin to realize that that sweat smells about the same on everybody. And I get busted in the mouth and my blood's the same color as my brother. And we begin to realize that we don't have so much separates us. And we got a lower in common than we do that separates us. And we pull each other's shirt on over our pads. And in time, Somebody cracks a joke, and the next thing you know, you're laughing with each other. And then the real miracle happens, and one of them invites the other one home for Thanksgiving. I've seen this happen, by the way. And then the whole family, the whole family is changed. So they learn to love this child. He may weigh 300 pounds, but he's still a child. It's hard to hate a 17-year-old that's bragging on your cooking at Thanksgiving dinner. And I've seen these miracles happen and they last the rest of the life of all concerned. That is what's great about our sport. And the same thing happens in the stands. And I had the great privilege recently of my two grandsons playing high school football. They're both captain of their high school teams in Monticello, Virginia. And so we'd sit in the stands and I hadn't done that in a thousand years. I'm not sure I've ever done that, frankly, but I did to watch, Our guys, two red-headed knuckleheads, play high school ball, and their best (laughs) buddies were African-American. We're sitting with their parents, and if somebody's son scored a touchdown, we hug. We didn't stop to say, gee, you're the wrong color, or I know. you just That's our teammate. And um, some of the greatest pictures I've got are of our grandson high-fiving with their teammates, and they had entirely different pigmentation, but they learned to love each other. Only because they got on a football field together. You you really learn to value the uh,
0: the, the humanness of each person um, when you take the color of their skin out and realize that we all want to be loved, we all want to be valued, we all want to have worth, and we all want to have purpose. And uh, I, I don't think you could have said that any more eloquently, Coach. Thank you for
1: for sharing that. Well, I've just had this wealth of experiences, and I'm I'm honored to share. And I hope it means something to somebody. Coach um,
0: um, Dwayne Mathis had one more question for you that we wanted to hear from you on as as we uh, wrap up our conversation today.
2: So, Coach, not to put a big plug out there for you. But one of the things uh, you have wrote a book, Ten, Me- 10 men you meet in the huddle. I actually have ordered it. I'm, I'm highly anticipating it getting here just so I can read some more of your thoughts that you put down on paper. And I was just hoping that you could talk a little bit about it and you know to our listeners to, to kind of explain what, what you wrote about and, and how important uh, the value of a huddle is.
1: um my wife and george it was a great guy named george plimpton who who died uh in 2003 do you know the name george plimpton i do yeah, the he, detroit lions yeah yes sir pa- he wrote a bestseller called paper Lion, and he and i wrote a book together he did most of the heavy lifting back in the mid-70s called one more july and um and then he and my wife carolyn who were big buddies, they were both scholarly types. Uh, they started harassing me until I finally wrote this book that you've got in 2008. And then I revised it in 2018. I hope you've got the new one. If you, don't, if you don't get the new one, let me know and I'll send you one of them because I, I redid it and added a chapter about football and about the, taking the head out of the tackling and all that sort of thing because that was so so timely. But So I was literally harassed into writing it because uh, they both had the notion that I'm a decent writer. And um, I, I love putting down ideas like the ones you just heard. Most of the stories I've told over the last hour are in the book, except that they're expressed succinctly and um, not in such a rambling fashion as, as when, I, when I talk about them. But um, really what I, what I try to do is to put my heart into every page and to, let, and to let people know how much I love my teammates and how much I love my coaches and how much they – even though there's some violent stuff in there where we knock the stuffings out of each other uh, with no apologies. I mean, that's another aspect of football. Uh, we, we go out, we hit hard. Uh, the human organism seems to crave – a kind of combat and if you can do it and keep your head up and not use your head as a weapon then you got a decent chance of coming through it without being permanently damaged um, and that's what that's what I want for our children to have that experience and um, I try to emphasize that and I try to I try to let people know who those folks were that meant so much to me and who whom I treasure really more the older the more I'm 77 years old now, and I think I think about the people in that book every day, and I treasure them more every day. And I would, for the ones that are no longer with us, I sure would love to see them one more time. You mentioned, well, you mentioned Coach, as word, we as we wrap the up, the word love. Uh, just suffice it to say, I really love the, the guys that you read about in that book.
0: Wow. Mm. Coach, selfishly, before we let you go, I've got to hear uh, one story um, about playing the George Hallis Bears. I grew up in the uh, Chicago area and a lifelong Bears fan, but uh, certainly um, I know that you probably had a story or two about those Bears that you played against when you were playing for uh, the team up north, we call you.
1: (laughs) Well, the Bears uh, were my worst nightmare because... Uh, there was this really nice guy that we played in the college all-star game together. So we got to be friends, not, not buddy, buddy, but good decent friends. And um, his name is Buckus. And hmm. uh, I'll just let boil this down to a uh, one simple encounter, much like Lombardi's halftime speech after a game with the bears After we had played them a couple of years, twice a year, Lombardi walked over to my office. My uh, my office. He walked over to my locker, and he leaned over. And I'm eternally grateful he didn't do it in front of the team, but it still stings. He leaned over and he said, "Butkus owns you, doesn't he?" End of conversation. You want to know why I didn't like Lombardi? That was one reason. <laughs> because it, of, course, yeah. of course it was true. It was true. Uh, so uh, my my remembrance, my recollection of Wrigley Field and and um, playing against the Bears was mostly number fifty one and the nightmares I had. But good gosh, what a great player he was! And uh, the, the, just to line up against the Bears and the characters they had. Ed Obradovich, and uh, let's see, um, gosh, who was the, um, oh, they had a guy, George Seals, that was a big defensive tackle, Doug, um, oh, I'm I'm getting Doug Atkins, the guy that from from Tennessee, Doug Doug could high jump uh, six foot seven. He would just, he would leap all the way over Bob Vogel, our left tackle, and just land on United us. It was, it was like you were playing a bunch of um, Halloween monsters out there, and they were, they were brutal, they were tough. and Coach Lombardi loved Hallis. he didn't want to, but he did. He couldn't help but admire. He'd say, "That crazy old man, I can't help it. I just love him. He founded this league, and we owe him everything, so we're going to respect these guys. We certainly respected him, but uh, it was not a fun day for me when we played him.
0: well i selfishly i i enjoy that because uh you know i just there's the the bears packers rivalry is just a story tradition that goes in uh in many many directions and we could go down a rabbit hole here but we we want to cut you off because you've been gracious enough to spend an hour of time with us and i guess before we leave is there is there anything else that you wanted to share with people that were listening with regards to courage or love or passion in regards to leadership
1: well, uh, there's one thing that I believe in very strongly um, that, I, that I'd like everybody to take note of at this time. I, and I appreciate you asking that question. I hadn't thought about that, but, I, but I've got the answer easy for me. And it is that um, God blesses each one of us with a gift that nobody else has. Uh, every human being is unique. If, if we took fingerprints of the roughly seven billion people on Earth today, There wouldn't be two sets alike. So whatever your gift is, and there's a word for it, there's a Latin word, magna nematas. Magna nematas means greatness of spirit. And your greatness of spirit is the equivalent of mine, and mine is of yours, but they're different. They're unique, each of us. And what we need right now is for every citizen in, in the United States of America to dig deep us. um and hearts with no expectation of return that's what we need right now to become a team and pull our country um out of this hole that we're in and i believe we can do it and i, I know we will
0: well i coach mathis and i, I certainly feel the same way um You know, sports and society and and leadership and character all have a way of intertwining. And I I believe it won't be too long before we're all getting together and and celebrating those community moments that you so eloquently described. Um, I think we're going to call that good for today, Coach. I know you got to go help with dinner and uh, help Carolyn get get the dinner table set. Um, So thank you from the bottom of my heart uh, for spending time with us today um, Coach Matthews, did you have any final no, comments? No, I, I just,
2: again, uh, reiterate what Coach Lovell said is, you know, I, I can't thank you enough, Coach Curry, for, for taking the time out of, away from your family and, and sharing some stuff with us. Uh, you know, Coach Lovell and I have always said that, you know, more than anything, you know, selfishly, this is kind of a way for us uh, to have some – some personal growth and, and learn some things. And and hopefully maybe if just one person is listening that takes something away from it, then, you know, our, our mission has been done. But, uh, you know, I look forward to hopefully, you know, we're able to visit again in the future if you have, have the time. And again, just uh, thank you for, you know, taking some time away from, from Carolyn and and the grandkids and, and the family. And, and, and just, I can't thank you enough.
1: Well, I'm honored to do it and Carolyn's glad to get rid of me for a while. So, <laughs> I do, uh, so, but I actually I don't I don't the table. I just do the dishes when she's finished afterwards. So uh, I I'm, I'm, i am really I think you can tell I enjoy doing this so um anytime. Awesome. Well if you've enjoyed today's episode
0: of life leadership and the pursuit of greatness with coach bill curry i don't know how you couldn't Um, please rate review and subscribe to our podcast on google uh, apple and spotify and with that uh, let's keep pursuing life leadership and greatness in all that we do thanks so much for joining us have a great afternoon